You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. My name is Kirsten. This is Arinia sleeping with me. And I will be reading from Matthew 17, 14 to 23. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Kirsten. I'm going to pray as we get into this together. Join me. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as you have spoken to us through your word, you would now give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe what you have spoken, that we might be transformed through your word to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. I don't know if uh, any of you have ever heard or, or known a story like the one I'm about to tell, but I've heard this story in so many different ways with subtle differences and details over the years. I'm guessing if you've been a part of a church community, you've heard a story like this one, and it's a story that goes like this. Someone gets diagnosed with some horrible condition, cancer, debilitating disease, right? And they go to the doctor, and the doctor schedules a surgery, but then the person also goes to their community. They go to the church for some time in prayer. And in that time of prayer, through tears, the prayer is often something similar to what Jesus prayed on the night when he was on his way to the cross. Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's a lot of, uh, that, that, that's what the kind of prayer is that's being prayed. And, and through that time of prayer and through that time maybe of anointing with oil perhaps, they surrender the outcome of their health to God. 
And, and yet, at the same time, they still ask him for mercy. They still ask him to heal. And for those of you who have heard this story before, anybody know what happens next? What happens? They go in for surgery, and then the doctor finds that the need for surgery is no longer there. The condition that they had has changed. I've heard this story so many times, friends, and it's inexplicable to the doctors every time, but it's often expected by the patient. Why? Because they've prayed, they've asked God, and he's brought them healing. Now, as I said, if you've been a part of a Christian community, you've probably heard a story like this one many, many times, but you've probably also heard a story that goes the other way. You've probably heard stories of tragedies, stories where you pray and pray for months or years and the person doesn't get healed, right? And so what are we supposed to make of that? How are we to pray in light of these differences of outcomes? Well, we're going to find out today, both through these two things, the story that we heard read, but also the prophecy or the prediction that Jesus gives us. See, in this story, we're going to uh, be filled with faith in Jesus' power to heal, and then through the prophecy, we're going to be able to trust in the future that God has promised, even when it appears as though he has said no to us in our prayers in the present. So the big idea we're going to see is when you know the future, you can pray with faith. And before we dig in, I just want to kind of give us a little bit of context, like where are we coming from? Where is this story taking place? If you were here last week, Pastor David preached on the transfiguration, which I just got to give a big shout out to him. Would you guys thank him for me? You, you may not know this, but on Saturday morning, the day before, I was planning on preaching. Uh, I texted David and was like, dude, I'm out. I'm sick as a dog, and I can't do this, and he jumped right in there like the servant that Pastor David is, and within less than 24 hours had a sermon that was good. Like, what? I would not have been able to do that, honestly. Uh, so praise God, and thank you, David, for wherever you went uh, for doing that. Um, but last week in that, David preached on the transfiguration, and in that story, the disciples had had this like mountaintop experience, both literally and figuratively, right? They're on top of this mountain, and they see Jesus in all of his full luminescent majesty like never before, and in that experience, they were being given a glimpse of Jesus as he would be in the future, Jesus after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. But now, in the story today, they've, they've come down from that mountain, and they're being brought into what's really a valley, both literally and figuratively. And it's a valley because it's a story about a man coming to Jesus with really great faith, while the disciples, the ones who should have the greatest faith, don't seem to have any. So let's see what happens. Let's begin with the prayer that this man offers to Jesus, verses 14 through 16. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. 
For he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. So this father, he brings his prayer to Jesus, and it's a request for Jesus to heal his son's seizures. Now, we might ask the question, does his son have what we would call epilepsy? Because that's the word that's used, epilepsy. And the answer is, sort of. (laughs) His son sort of has what we would call epilepsy, but you see this, this poor boy's body, while it is convulsing and he's not seeming to be able to control it, what we call epilepsy may be included in that, but what we're about to find out is it's much, much more than that that's going on with this boy. We'll come back to that in a moment. But what we need to know is that this was a time of primitive medicine, of course, right, 2,000 years ago. Little could be done about sicknesses that we treat really easily today. Like I said, I was sick this week, right? And what happened? I asked people to pray for me, and I was getting better and better and better, progressing, uh, but I wasn't progressing fast enough for what I wanted, because I had strep throat, and if you ever had strep throat, that's just the worst, right? And I was man, I really would love to get better more quickly and have confidence that I'm 100% well. And so what did I do? I went down to the doctor. I got diagnosed. I went and got my antibiotics. 48 hours later, I was no longer, uh, what do you call it, uh, contagious, right? So great experience. Now, I know that that's not necessarily the experience that people have with epilepsy even today. Even with all of our modern medicine, I know even, for example, within Trinity, within this church family, we have people who are affected by epilepsy, whether that's uh, personally, like through your, your own illness or a loved one who suffers from it. And I've gotten to talk with many of you who are affected that way, pray with you, And I know that even with modern medicine, all of our understanding that we have with modern medicine, we can only curb some of the effects of this terrible disease. But 2,000 years ago, there wasn't even that. There was absolutely nothing. No medicine, no experimental treatments, nothing. The only healing that was available was through Jesus. The only healing available to this little boy was Jesus. And so Jesus was this Father's only hope. And while we are very grateful for modern medicine, and while we should take advantage of all that it has to offer us, it's not our ultimate hope. Amen? No matter how great our knowledge gets, no matter how great our medical achievements are, we cannot eliminate the effects of sin, which the Bible says is the root cause of sickness and eventually death. And so our hope has to be something in something greater than modern medicine. And we might say, okay, well, what does that hope actually look like? And the answer is sometimes it looks like desperation. As with this father in this story, he comes to Jesus, and what does he do? He's kneeling before him, in desperation, right? And he says, have mercy 
on my son. His posture showed that he had reverence for Jesus, that, that he had submission to Jesus. Perhaps he was even in an, in an act of worship towards Jesus. And his posture shows that he's placing all of his chips on Jesus. He's all in with Jesus, which is a sign of his faith. He's had enough faith to come all the way here, making the long trek. We don't know how far he's come, but likely really, really far. And he's, he has enough faith then to cast himself upon Jesus' mercy. And I want you to think about that for a minute, the mercy of God. Nick did a great job of highlighting the mercy of God in our worship service earlier. As we were talking about God's mercy as a staff this week, uh, Tawny and Nick were pointing out that God doesn't just offer us mercy. He does that. But God is mercy. Amen? God is merciful. And so like this father, we come to Jesus with our illnesses, amen? We come to Jesus with our frailty, with our brokenness, and we cast ourselves upon his mercy. And also like this father, we might intercede on behalf of someone else who we love. We might pray to Jesus for someone else who is in need of mercy. In fact, oftentimes when I'm praying with people for healing, I'm praying something like, Lord, have mercy on your son. Lord, have mercy on your daughter. We can pray these kinds of prayers because God is a merciful God. And so then Jesus responds to this man. How does he respond to him? Here's the answer. 17 and 18, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Okay, so Jesus' answer, his first response, was not towards the man who came to him. It wasn't towards the man who had the prayer. He's actually responding uh, really as an expression of his exacerbation with the disciples. He rebukes the disciples. And what does he rebuke him for? For being no different than the people all around them. He describes them as the faithless and twisted generation. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is God with us. Right? Emmanuel is one of his names. It means God with us. He's God come from heaven to earth to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, while you would assume that God coming to earth would uh, solicit some hospitality from the people who he has made, no, the world rejected him rather than receiving him. And that was due to a lack of faith. That is what Jesus is angry about because the disciples are just like the rest of Israel. They're just like the rest of the surrounding nations. They're just like us, a lack of faith. The disciples, the ones who saw Jesus glowing on a mountaintop with the glory of heaven just a moment ago, have a lack of faith too, just like the people around them, which is Seems unbelievable until you walk with Jesus for a while 
and you learn about how often you have a lack of faith. But you might have been reading this or hearing it read a moment ago, and and the thing with Jesus rebuking the disciples wasn't the part that surprised you. It wasn't the part that stood out. Maybe for you, like me, you might have been caught off guard with this whole thing that Jesus rebuked the demon. Anybody? Because I thought we were talking about epilepsy, right? Anybody? Maybe not. Okay. That was surprising to me. what's What's the whole deal with the demon popping in here like... Is this teaching us that epilepsy is actually demon possession? No. Okay, good. Yeah, no. Let me explain a little bit. So the, most Bible scholars think that this boy in our story today was, one, a Gentile, so he's not a Jew. He's from one of the surrounding nations. And also that he had been involved as a Gentile, as they all did, He had been involved with some sort of idol worship that had led to him being, whatever word you want to use, possessed, oppressed by this dark and evil spirit, which led to him being convulsed in these ways that looked a lot like what we would call epilepsy. So does that mean then that everyone with epilepsy is actually demon-possessed? No. It just means that this boy's demon possession manifested itself in a way that looks a lot like what we would say is epilepsy. Now, why is this important for us to sort out? Why, what does this even mean for us? Because it feels kind of distant, doesn't it? It means that we should be careful how we approach situations like this one. Situations where we encounter either ourselves or someone else who has pretty significant physical health problems or mental health problems. In those situations, we must on the one hand recognize that people are whole, they're both body and soul, and so our uh, spiritual realities affect our physical realities and vice versa. And yet on the other hand, we've got to realize that not all physical conditions are the result of a spiritual condition, amen? So in other words, we shouldn't go looking under every rock for another demon. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, A lot of churches, a lot of Christians kind of get stuck in this cycle of like demon hunting or ghostbusters is what I like to call it, right? And, and while it is very important for us to recognize the possibility, we can't just assume that that's always the case. This requires a lot of discernment from God, a lot of prayer in every situation. But I do want to tell you about a situation uh, where this was the case, similar to the story with the boy. A pastor friend of mine told me a story once of a woman who was having severe problems with her reproductive system. I'll just leave it at that. Severe problems, lots of pain, She was seeing specialist after specialist after specialist, and nothing was helping. And alongside of it, she would talk about and complain about how she was just in this darkness. And we kind of assumed, okay, well, it's depressing when you're going through something like that. It's dark, right? It's hard. But she was insisting this this evil presence would not leave her alone. And so the pastors of this church, they came and they prayed for her. They laid hands on her. They anointed her with oil. And while they were there, she confessed to them that she had been committing adultery on her husband, something she'd been keeping hidden for a long, long time. 
And with that confession, it just sort of opened the floodgates, all kinds of intense spiritual warfare. Why? Because the enemy was losing ground in this woman's life. She was bringing her sin out into the light, and the darkness didn't like it, right? And so what did the pastors do? They, they began to do some intense spiritual warfare counseling. They were praying for her. They were reading scripture. They were in, interacting with her in a counseling kind of conversation. And eventually, over the course of that meeting time, the evil presence was cast away. Praise God. Amen. And with that, here's the crazy part. All of her physical symptoms were gone. All of them. And you see, the problem that she was experiencing in her body was caused by a problem in her soul. Now, what are we to do with that then? Does that mean that all of the problems in our bodies are always caused by problems in our souls? No, no. It just means that we've, we've always got to consider that a possibility, just as it was with this woman, just as it was with the little boy in our story. Now, some of you guys are going, maybe you're new to Christianity, you're new to the church, and you're like, whoa, what are we talking about? All this spiritual warfare stuff is pretty intense. We've talked a ton about spiritual warfare throughout Matthew's gospel. It shows up all the time. And I would encourage you, if, if you're kind of confused or you're curious, you want to learn more, I would encourage you to go back over this series. We're on sermon number 70, I think, today, something like that. So a lot of sermons you can go back and find on spiritual warfare. But even better than that, I would like to encourage you to come forward after the service and talk with someone. Talk with someone. Ask them some of your questions. If, if necessary, get some prayer. Find out more or, or talk with a pastor or another leader because we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. And why do I say that? Why would we love to pray with you? What's the answer? It's because we know that Jesus can heal. Amen? Come on, church. We know that Jesus can heal. Amen? Okay. I mean, did you see what just happened in this story? This boy is brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals him instantly. It's amazing. This is the power of Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot for us to learn here from this story, but we also recognize that there was a lot for the disciples to learn who they just majorly dropped the ball. So they come to Jesus now for a teaching moment. Let's hear what happens. Verse 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith of like a grain of a mustard seed, insanely tiny seed, if you've ever had grain mustard, you know what this looks like, right? You will, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, maybe he's even pointing to the mountain they just came down from, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. Now, before I say anything about what we've just read, I need to take a step back for a second. And I need to say that disciples are learners. That's a lot of what that word means. It means being a learner. And so when we decide to follow Jesus, we decide that we want to learn the way of life from him. And part of learning, friends, 
though we'd hate to admit it, part of learning is failing. Amen? And so the disciples recognize that they failed here. But what do they do? They don't throw in the towel. They don't give up. What do they do? They keep on going. They come back to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, Christian, when you fail, return to Jesus, not only with your whole self and all that you have done, but return to him with your questions. Come to Jesus looking for answers, and what are you going to find? You're going to find that you are blown away by his love, by his compassion, by his wisdom for you. And so that's what the disciples did. They came back to Jesus, they brought their questions, and they did it not only because they failed, although that's part of it, but they also came back to Jesus because they're confused, right? You can hear it in their words. They they have been able to cast demons out before. If you were with us months and months ago, I don't even know how long ago it was now, back in chapter 10, we saw Jesus send his disciples out on a missions trip in the surrounding areas. And what did he do? He, he gave them some jobs, some tasks to do as they went out, and one of them was to cast out demons. And so they were able to cast out demons before why can't they do it now? Why didn't it work this time? They asked Jesus, and he tells them it's because of their little faith. Now, when we read this story, I think a lot of times we think, okay, well, their little faith must have been this really internalized thing, right? And we just have, don't have the details of that. But I think that this little faith was actually manifested in their actions, and the hint or the clue for that is found in a little footnote. If you guys like footnotes, man, this is, we're getting a little bit microscopic here, but I think it's going to be really helpful, okay? If, if your Bible's like mine, you have a little footnote at the end of verse 20. And it has this little tiny four on my Bible. And when I look at then the bottom of the page where it's listed, it says basically the same thing there that Mark's account of this exact same story is in Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And in that, it says that, the disciples came to Jesus for the, with the same question, the same situation, and his answer to them was, this kind or this demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, so what were the disciples not doing? It's one way of asking the question. It appears as though they weren't praying. That's kind of a big problem, wouldn't you say? <laughs> They're, they're supposed to be doing spiritual warfare, and they're not praying. They, they evidently weren't saying, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would free this boy from this evil spirit, that you would rid him of this evil spirit. Instead, it sounds like they were just commanding it, like, evil spirit, depart from him. Now, why would they have done something like that? It's because that's what Jesus did, Right? They just learn from watching him. And Jesus has this ultimate authority, but they don't have that same authority. And so they've got this delegated authority. They're not God like Jesus is, God in the flesh. And so when they cast a demon out, they've got to do so by God's authority, by God's power, not their own. And so they seem to have mixed up God's empowerment for spiritual warfare and their own power. Sound familiar, friends? All of us do this. This is why I'm going into all this detail. All of us do this, don't we? 
We can mix up our own power and God's empowerment at any moment. Because, see, God gives all human beings agency. He gives us power, every single person. But then he gives Christians his Holy Spirit, right, to dwell in us, to guide us, to empower our lives and our ministries so now we can go out and love people, we can go out and serve people, we can speak his truth, we can pray, we can study God's word and share life in community, we can work our jobs and give generously, we can live the Christian life because the Holy Spirit has been given to us to empower us, amen? Praise God for that. What a gift. But you know, it is so easy to go from a place of, God, I am utterly dependent on you for everything that I have in front of me today, to a place of, thanks, God. <laughs> I got it. I got it from here. I'm, I, I seem to be doing pretty good. I'll see you later. Isn't it? Is, am I the only one who experiences that? Amen? God, I'm totally dependent on you. And then just deuces. Thanks. God, I got it. It's as though God were just a set of training wheels on our bike. Thanks, God. I can ride now on my own. When the way that the Bible describes him is he's like the engine and the rudder on the ship. You ain't going nowhere without him. And you see, the minute that we forget that, we do just what the disciples did. We unplug from the outlet of love. We unplug from the outlet of power. And so Jesus corrects them. He says, you need Faith, at least like the grain of a mustard seed, because if you have that, then you can move a mountain. You can tell that mountain to go from there to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you, he says. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. If Jesus just told you that, what would be your next move? Anyone? I, I'd be like, I'd go try and move a mountain, wouldn't you? <laughs> right? Am I the only one? Man, I feel like I'm the only one here on all this stuff. I mean, right? I, Jesus just told you you could move a mountain. Aren't you going to go try and do that? But you know, they didn't do that then. And we have no record of any disciple ever, well, I'm sure someone's tried it, but we have no record in church history of someone trying to move a mountain as a result of this teaching. Why? Because the disciples and others since them have known that's not Jesus' point. Jesus was being hyperbolic. That moving a mountain was this common Jewish metaphor for doing what was seemingly impossible. It seems like completely impossible that a mountain could move, right? And so Jesus could have said, even a little bit of faith can do big things. That's what he was trying to tell us. But he didn't. Why? Because he knows the power of our imaginations. So powerful to picture that little tiny mustard seed and then go look at Mount Rainier and go, all I need is this and that thing can move. Wow, your imagination just opens up. And if you don't believe me 
at how powerful this is, let me give you a little illustration. Don't think about 50-foot-tall pink elephants. What are you thinking about, right? Right? And so Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses metaphor because he wants to open up our imaginations and help us to see something outside of ourselves, outside of the world that we would like to keep this small because that's not God's world. You might be like, well, okay, but I don't like him using all that hyperbole and metaphor because I just want to know concretely. I want him to be literal. Like, why can't he just be literal so that I can know what is true? And you got to understand, metaphors and hyperbole are also truth. Just because they're metaphors and hyperbole, it doesn't mean that they don't reveal truth. They do. It's just they do so differently. And like I said, this this truth that's revealed here is that even little faith can do big things. Now, what would happen, friends, if you believed, if I believed that truth? What would happen? Everything would change. We begin to expect big things from God, amen? We begin to ask big things from God. You might be going, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of asking. What if I ask God for something and he doesn't say yes? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to be disappointed. I don't, I don't want to do that. What if God doesn't say yes to my prayer? Or what if I don't have enough faith? Friends, that's really not the point. The point is actually that he's making an invitation for us to come and to trust him enough to ask. Will we ask big things of a big God? He's faithful, right? He will always do what he said he would do. He will always fulfill his promises. And so we can call on him to do incredible things because his promises are incredible. Amen. And whenever he says yes, excuse me, whether he says yes today or on the last day, when we call on God in his promises, we find that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we can call on him to move mountains in our lives. What mountain do you need him to move? We can call on him to move mountains in our families, in our marriages, in our children's lives, in our friendships, in our workplaces. We can call on him to move mountains in this church. Will we? Can we? We can call on him to move mountains in this city. We call on him to move mountains in this world. And when we do, when we pray into the will of God, we know that we don't ask in vain. You might say, okay, but how do we know if we're praying God's will? That's what's revealed in these final verses. And it also answers the question, why can we have faith? This is where we're going to wrap up our time. Check out what Jesus says next, 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, 
The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Why can we have faith? The answer is we can have faith because of the promise of resurrection. Jesus has just foretold a future which we know came to pass. Amen? It's a future that we also as Christians get to look forward to, a future of resurrection. And so I want you to see this, what Jesus has just said, what we just read, is the interpretive lens for the story that we looked at. It's also the interpretive lens for the Christian life, death. And resurrection. Jesus says that it is God's will that he will be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He will be handed over to the Jewish religious leaders who will then work with the Roman occupation to crucify him. He says that's God's will. But he also says it's God's will that it will be all undone. That he will be raised on the third day. This happened, friends. This happened. So why can we have faith? Because human history is under the governance of God the Almighty. You say, okay, but what about when things are going poorly with me? What about when things seem to be trending towards death in my life? And my, maybe it's my physical health. Maybe it's in my relationships. Maybe it's in my plans that I'm working on. What, what do I do when it seems like things are moving towards death? Friends, God has determined that resurrection is right around the corner. So how can we pray into the will of God? The answer is by asking him to bring resurrection where there is death. By asking him to make whole what is broken. And so as Christians, we know that no matter how bad things get, we never lose hope. We always have hope. We have no reason to be distressed like the disciples were distressed. Why? Because we know the future. Jesus told these disciples that everything was going to be okay in the end, that he was going to be raised. And they had no reason to be distressed. Because what would be easier, to move a mountain or to raise a dead person, right? What would be easier, move a mountain or redeem fallen humanity? The same God can do both. The same God can do the impossible. The same God who put Mount Rainier there, he can move it at a moment's notice, amen? He can also give life to a dead person. He can give you life if you're spiritually dead today. Turn to Jesus, trust in him, repent of your sin. He can transform us as broken sinners. He can heal our sicknesses. See, when you know the future, resurrection, you can pray in faith. So Christians, we are not just optimistic, we are hopeful because in Christ, death never has the last word. It's not the end of the story. Amen? Cancer is not the end of the story. Amen? In Christ, 
Epilepsy is never the end of the story. In Christ, demon oppression is never the end of the story. Years ago, I was a worship pastor. Feels like another life (laughs) before me. And in the church that I was leading at, there was a woman who just loved singing worship songs to Jesus. One of her favorite things to do. And so she requested that I sing some songs at her funeral. One of the songs that she asked me to sing was a song we're going to sing in just a moment called All My Tears. Amazing song. And this woman, she was young when she died. I don't think she was yet 40 years old. And she had battled cancer for well over 10 years at that point. God had given us amazing husband, amazing faithfulness. And this amazing community of brothers and sisters in Christ who walked with her through every step of this suffering all the way to the end. And you know what? Through that whole thing, she was the one that was always more positive than any of us could have imagined ourselves if we were in her shoes. She was always positive. And a good example of that was in the funeral, right before I sang or we sang that song, someone came up and they read a blog post from her from uh, just before she had died, not long before. And it was moving. Let me tell you, I mean, not a dry eye in the room, right? And uh, in this blog post, she said something to the effect of, I don't know why God won't heal me, but I trust in his goodness and mercy nonetheless. That was inspiring faith. That was inspiring faith. She kept turning to God and asking him to heal for 10 years. And you know what, as someone read that blog post and as I prepared to go up and sing this song, it hit me like a ton of bricks. God had healed her. Amen? Yeah, she died. But her soul was in eternal bliss before God, right? And her old cancer-filled body was in the ground. And one day she was going to get a new one. A body that would never fail, a body that would never die, a body that would never get sick. She was healed beyond her wildest dreams, way better than a healing that could have taken place in this life. And you see, this is what I'm trying to explain. This is why we can have faith when we pray for healing today, friends. Because it's a matter of when, not if. Because though Jesus was crucified, he rose, and he has promised that we will one day rise too, and that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and we will enter into his presence where there is no mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore, no sickness. All that stuff has passed away with those old, decayed bodies, and we have entered in to something new that will never end, that can never be taken away from us. Do you know the future? 
Do you believe the future? If so, you can pray today with faith. Let's pray. God, we praise you because you are a God of great power. And God, we confess that so often we doubt and we try and put you in a box and we try and make you smaller than a God who can do the impossible, who can move mountains. And we thank you that that's just simply not who you are. God, would you build up our faith today to trust you, to bring our sicknesses to you, to come to you in, in need of healing. And we pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.